Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 133, Consumer Games. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from the Worldwide Headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia, and the Worldwide Global Headquarters of the Bonhoeffer House in Radford, Virginia. That's right. We are together. We are on Zoom today. Um, Jesse was too lazy to come to my house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. I know I shouldn't have said that, but that's wow. funny. Um, Jesse's got down. I got a broken car. car. He's got a man. broken car and serving his family. And, uh, I'm grateful for that. So we got to talk about our, a little consumer game before we started trying to figure out car situations and family situations. Uh, as re- Jesse is a responsible man, uh, for his family. But Jesse, good to see you. You have your house sweater on. Oh, I have a Tar Heel wrestling shirt on. This yeah, is probably THWC. bad. I probably, if my guys see this for the Hokies, I'm going to get some, I'm going to get some grief, man. Um, mm. Let's, uh, let's zoom yep. in yeah, the video. Yeah, pull that shirt there, down. There we go. Now, you guys, if you watch, if you're of the tens of people who watch the video, you will now just see a blue shirt. Well, Jesse. I'm looking at, I'm looking at the video right now and I am trying to figure out why, it, my beard looks so white because you're old. Is that a filter? <laughs> it's called being uh, over forty and uh, old. Jesse, I will be turning fifty um, very soon. That can't be. Yeah, it can't be half a century old. Um, there's all these ages that you pass that you're like, wow. When I was young, I thought that was an old person, and I've I've passed all of them now except for sixty five. So we'll see. <laughs> when when we get up there, but man, Jesse, I'm excited today, man. My annual report is out. Uh, we mm. the Gospel Underground. Uh, thank you guys for all of you out there who listen, who also support uh, the work and ministry of the GU. Our annual report is out. We'll put it in the show notes for you, so you can kind of see how we did in last ministry year that ended for us August 31st. Really grateful for my friend Waylon Smith, who does a lot of design work for us and has that on it and and even jesse i wrote uh i actually wrote the annual report this year on on my macbook pro and and i've been waiting for this one to review (laughs) a reviewish my macbook pro because i wasn't sure if i actually liked it and I know for you guys who are Mac people, that seems like an idolatrous statement. Like, how do you not like the Mac? It's better in every way. Well, I don't know. We're a religious cult. Yeah, <laughs> you are a religious cult. You're playing the consumer ahead. game. You've been looking through the outline. But yeah, I am ready to review-ish because my mother always told me, if you don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. As a child, I don't know if you got that wisdom from your family, Jesse, but oh, yeah. I have something good to say finally about my MacBook Pro. No, it's not frustration that, that I don't know all the keyboard shortcuts that I have in my muscle memory from 30 years as a Windows user. Um, but I was in a hotel actually recording my little mini episode uh, that we did uh, about, you know, kind of the fine tuning of joy and dissatisfaction. If you guys listen to that discontent, um, how you need a little bit of both of that in your life. And I was trying to record it from a hotel and I had my MacBook in front of me and my iPad next to it. And Jesse, I didn't even tend this. I'm using my mouse pad on the MacBook Pro and I just slid over, man. And I just started working on my iPad with the same keyboard and same trackpad of the Mac. It was, I think it's called universal control. 
I said, oh my gosh, Mac OS did, did a ninja is what I think I said out, out loud when I was looking at it. I was kind of got excited. I got up and ran around my hotel room because I finally <laughs> find, found something I loved about the MacBook Pro. And so I'm two thumbs up now on the MacBook Pro. I was, I, and it actually shares a clipboard. Did you guys know this out here, Mac people? I could copy and paste on my iPad oh, and yeah. then come over to the Mac and paste it in. Uh, right on the other system, which these are two two different von Neumann architectured computer systems, right? Um, and they're sharing this thing software-wise, which I think is pretty amazing. I wanted to look into the software stack and how they're doing that. But that's too nerdy today, Jesse, because we're talking about the consumer game, which is part of our sacred game series. If you guys have been tracking with us, we've been looking at this phrase, what sacred games will we have to create? What festivals of atonement will we invent for ourselves. This obviously was from Friedrich Nietzsche, who was uh, contemplating uh, if we leave God behind, so to speak, as a civilization, uh, the most centralizing, unifying theme in, in Western civilization, if you leave that behind, well, he was really prescient in understanding we, we really wouldn't leave the religious impulse. We would create new sacred Games And we're far downstream from his time in the late 19th century, Jesse. And so we've looked at uh, some of the games we are creating now, real time, that even we're part of right in our cultural moment. First was the power game, um, that everything is an only, only a relationship between oppressed and oppressor, that everything uh, is flattened into power differentials. And when we play that game, we just use the term, we play the Game of Thrones, everybody can lose. And it flattened out the possibility of mutually beneficial relationships or even seeing things uh, as love and service rather than uh, oppressed and oppressor. Then we looked at connection games that human beings actually need tribes, so people tribe up. Um, but there's kind of been a balkanization of our country fueled by social media where the tribes are going to war and that our culture has broken so many essential connections and bonds that now people are wandering about looking for new tribes. And some of these tribes seem to be only wanting to war with one another. But the connection game is important because we need tribes. We need families. We need communities. We need uh, places of love and support. We, you may see it called, our, I have a good support system, which centers the individual and everybody else is kind of like providing something to it but rather the importance of communities and tribing up. Now, the connection game is actually connected to what we're talking about today, the consumer game. And we're going to look at the consumer game today in two ways. Uh, but we've been greatly served by the book Strange Rights. So I want to ask Jesse to read our kind of a transitionary quote between connection game and consumer game from that book. Yeah, so this is this is from uh, Burton Strange writes. Scholars have been tracking this phenomenon for decades. As early as 2000, academics Stephen Sutcliffe and Marion Bowman were commenting on how, this is where the quote begins, in our Fund de Siècle Emporium. Now, can I? Can we pause for a minute, Reed? Can I? Can I break the fourth wall and say I, we had to we had to look up the pronunciation? Know in the comments. Here are more videos on how to pronounce many more useful French words. I don't know that that dude would be proud of my pronunciation, but... Here we go, guys. Fin de siècle, right? Fin de siècle. Or, you know, 
turn of the century. Yeah. In our our turn of the century emporium, Irish Catholic nuns are enhancing their devotions with Buddhist meditation. Anglicans are learning spiral dances, and Druids are teaching neuro-linguistic programming. End of quote. Sociologists Steph Aupers and Dick Houtman likewise wrote in 2007 of the rise of bricolage religion inexplicably connected to modern consumer capitalism and the room it has created for a robust spiritual marketplace. The erosion of the Christian monopoly, they write, has created a market where religious consumers construct strictly personal packages of meaning based on individual tastes and preferences. All right. A lot of French in that uh, in that quote. <laughs> I think bricolage probably comes from French as well. Right. But yeah, this is an observation that sociologists are making that people are treating religion itself, spirituality, like they would other things in a modern consumer capitalistic free market kind of culture. And so, uh, Jesse, we're going to hit it in two ways. Religion becoming a marketplace, right, that consumer choices are being turned into a sacred game. So we're going to look at it in two ways. First of all, I'm just calling this Religious Incorporated, uh, that we treat religion as a consumer. Uh, Religion as a marketplace has that quote shared that we are grabbing pieces from different spiritual ideas, slapping them together in kind of uh, bricologic ways where there's this from that and this from this thing, and I oh, I like meditation from this, and so I'll take that and combine it. Where it's not uncommon to hear someone who would claim to believe in people going to heaven uh, and reincarnation because they kind of like these ideas, not stopping to think that they're utterly incompatible visions of what happens when a person Die. So the really, uh, the consumer game played in one way is kind of this consumeristic attitude towards religion. And then one where I just might want to meddle a little bit, Jesse, the second way the consumer game is being played in our culture is making ourselves a religious devotee of our consumption or our production or our brand identification and possession. So we're going to look at both of those today, how people are looking at religion as a consumer and then how we take our consumerism and maybe turn it into mm-hmm. a cult. Now, now, Jesse, before I was a Mac idolater myself, <laughs> uh, <laughs> my new initiation writes, I used to make fun of all my Macintosh friends because I thought that people treated Apple as some devotee to some religion with Steve Jobs as the high priest um, and and I found, though, that this is actually embraced by Mac people because one of the most popular Mac blogs is called Cult of Mac. Mm. Uh, so this idea of people being cons- taking their brandedness or their consumer stuff as a kind of religion is kind of, you know, kind of kind of happening. So luxury, right, sells tribalism. There's a sense of belonging. My son, every time he sees a Tesla, I don't know why, he just started saying, ooh, dad, a Tesla, they must be better than us. Uh, there's a certain, <laughs> you know, maybe, ooh, they're the Tesla people. Or or traveler programs, like I know for me, I, I was going to the M Club at the Marriott at our conference we were at recently, and I was feeling like, yeah, I'm kind of people who do this, and I get to get the free breakfast and all this kind of stuff. And I actually bought a wallet, um, which is one, one of my favorite wallets, Jesse. I'll show it to you when I, sometime. It's new um, from a com- 
from a company called the King's Loot, right? It's like, ooh, I have loot from the King. But I got I got this shocking email that I shared with you that I want to ask you to read for us um, because yeah. of because of the way it spoke about buying something, right? Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, you you got this email. I, it's Joshua here from King's Loot, and then there's this there's this picture of. Uh, his, him and his family with a couple little little kids. Looks like a Christmas found, card type picture, right? It, like, it does look like a Christmas card. My man, and, Joshua. And, <laughs> yeah, from Joshua. And and he, the first line is, "I founded this baby back in 2019." Which, when I first read it, I thought he meant his own baby. His I was child. The picture. I was like, I didn't never thought about saying I founded one of my children, but I yeah. kind of like it. But yeah, okay, I founded this baby. But I think he's talking about. The, the wallet, yeah, the, yeah, the company. company, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I figured that out. Yeah. I just got informed you joined us. You joined us, so I wanted to say, hey, I don't know what your dreams are, but I wish you the best with them, and I hope my story can help inspire you to chase them. I started by literally crafting a wallet myself using a sewing machine, some leather, and the help of YouTube tutorials. Then things ramped up as folks started to order my wallets. Nine months later, we hit the market properly, and we never looked back. We are global. We are the best in our industry, and we're proud to serve you. We're super grateful that you're with us, and I want you to know you're joining an amazing community. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts, man? I, when I got that, it was like, oh, wow, that, that's I interesting. I thought I was just buying a wallet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought I was buying a wallet. But, but I, I felt like I need to get baptized or something. Like, I, And I'm joining a community? Am I in this cult now? Is his baby my baby? I don't know what's happening, right? It's like... It's it's funny, you know, obviously, and this is probably being taught in business schools and places that like, you know, if you get somebody to feel like they have this amazing brand devotion, that yeah. they're part of a community, they're not just buying a widget from you. We're the best. We're global. This is a family. This is my story. Our dreams are being fulfilled together, Jesse. I just like, wow, that is usually religious kinds of stuff, right? Um yeah, but, sure. We do this at, you know, we do this at Valley Bible Church, right? Where we want to make sure that we, we want to make sure you buy into the vision and the mission of the church. We want to, we do these rituals of belonging and acceptance, but it would be weird if we only did them when you, when you tithed. Right, right. When you gave some money. <laughs> when you gave some money, yeah. Now you're really on the inside. Welcome um, to the real community. You know, Scientology is really good at that. Apparently, you pay big bucks, you go up the ladder of you know levels of operating thetans. So when you're like really important in the community, it's because you gave a whole lot of money. But anyway, this is this is fascinating, and the reality, you know, we're playing the religion or the consumer game in two ways, Jesse, because they're related, right? When you start to, when you are a consumer, you start to look at uh, things that have historically, at least in the earth, been transcendent holy, even a little bit otherworldly, right? But if you start looking at those things as a centered individual, I, everything's about me and what I want and what I consume, you can start using these consumer impulses that our culture, we're trained on them, right? Um, we see advertisements on every level. We see them un unwanted in our text messages uh, or our phone calls to our phones that we didn't ask for. Um, I'm on the don't call list, but they still call. Uh, you see them on websites. You see them curated on like things like Instagram where you want to buy everything they put before you because it's everything you love, right? Mm -hmm. They And they know that, right? So I, I want to buy that barbecue cleaning thing. And, 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 it, and we were bombarded watching television. 
You can get a new ad-driven Netflix for a little cheaper now. Disney Plus is going to do the same. We are advertised to death. And the advertising industry is founded on this premise that you have to have a sense that there's something missing in your life that you have. And if you buy it, right, then you'll somehow be more complete, more fulfilled, more happy. Your dreams more come true. Part of a community. Maybe you have, you'll be boys with Joss and, and, and share Christmas cards as you buy wallets. And so this idea that we as a consumer would bring that to the religious impulse, and at the same time, the human being with made in the image of God, we look, we're made by God to worship, that we would take some of our religious impulses into our consumer world is not shocking, even as it's really, really shocking. Yeah, that's right. You know, when I think about, I'm glad we're, we're talking about this because, of course, you, well, I struggle with this you know, personally. And I, and I often think about, we do. Yeah. You can go ahead and include me in that. Yeah, Yeah. we do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, when we think through our own cultural blind spots and I think about what are my grandkids going to be kind of surprised by, uh, now, you know, you never know how things are going to go. I don't know what, what it's going to be like in a hundred years or be like Wally, right. Sitting on our little floating hover bed, but it does feel like we're going to be like, yeah, that's (laughs) going to be, that's going to be the thing of like, you, you thought you needed all that stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, you were willing to do so much and give so much—not just money, but but sort of even lay down so many kind of morals and principles in order to get at the things that that you got at. And yeah, we'll be floating around like the <laughs> the people in Wally that have forgotten how to walk and, and have no bone density left. Yeah. yeah, there are these kind of Wally is a wonder one of the best Pixar movies in my view because it challenges so many things about our care for the earth and creation, but also our consumption uh, and, and really challenged it with a different vision, which I really, really appreciated. And another one, it's a little bit, yeah, probably not a good movie that I watched as a younger man. And I probably, probably bad actually called idiocracy where a guy basically gets cryo frozen forever. And he wakes up and the president is a pro wrestler or reality TV. Um, and they're watering their crops with Brondo, which is basically like Gatorade. Gatorade. Yeah, it's like Gatorade because yeah. it's better than water, right? Because the advertisement <laughs> said, Brondo, it's better than water. So so the soil's all messed up, so I can't grow anything. And, the, and this guy who was kind of kind of a dumb guy, I guess, in his day, broke up 500 years, I think, later, and he's the smartest guy on earth. Um, but yeah, everybody's become stupefied by this kind of advertising consumer culture. And I think we should be... Uh, aware of it because it does affect us it's the air we breathe you know i we the reason why we like the things in our instagram uh ads because we like things right and and at the end of this jesse i do want to revisit consumption as a whole because like it's really easy to say like well then let's you know renounce all possessions and and not have you know things but i think we need to be challenged here to say hey this is a sacred game it's affecting religious people and the way they're devoted to their religions or maybe not devoted to them, maybe more devoted to self. And it's certainly uh, a siren call into consumerism uh, that can really affect your heart for God, right? And so, again, this uh, this is another quote from Strange Rights, and we'll probably be uh, departing from her work after this episode, Jesse, but um, I wanted to give one more shout here. It says, but the contemporary rise of the internet, and in particular of the self-creating power of social media. 
So this idea is like, hey, I'm creating my my identity, all the things I like and curate. Uh, the uh, The idea that our lives can and should be customized to our personal interest and wants and needs has bled into the way we construct our religious identities. As scholar and psychologist Phil Zuckerman, author of Living the Secular Life, told me, this is again the author, we want to curate our own Facebook page. Why wouldn't we want to curate our own funeral, right? Mm. Come up with your own funeral death plans and make it, you know, you're going to play this song and this thing, right? More and more people are hungry for spiritual identity today and surrounding community that precisely reflects their values, their moral and social institution, their lived experience, and their sense of self. So in other words, we're curating the spiritual world like, oh, maybe we can make our own kind of custom bespoke religion and then maybe try to create a crowd and a community around that. She continues, as we increasingly consume our religious information, the way we do the rest of our media, curated like our Facebook feed, so too does our religious feed become increasingly bespoke. More and more of us, even amongst the religiously affiliated, are religious hybrids, uh, willing to incorporate non-Western or New Age uh, spiritual tr- traditions or sources of spiritual energy or regular meditative rituals within our spiritual diets. Concepts like mindfulness, a secularized version of principles associated with Zen Buddhism, have become ubiquitous in our workplaces and public schools. While the out uh, one-time meditation practice of yoga associated with both Hinduism and Buddhism has now become, hear this, Jesse, a $16 billion a year empire in the United States, as much associated with wellness culture and fitness as with spirituality proper. Now, Jesse, how does that, how does that hit you when you think about the idea of the reality of God, right? That God has, in, has being apart from us, and maybe has something to say about who God is, uh, what ultimate reality is, maybe even how God might want to be worshipped. And well, then, you know, yeah. Oh, go ahead. And then, you know, now we're out here in these streets, like just making stuff up and cobbling things together however we want, quite literally, believing in contradictory beliefs and practices at the same time, simply to serve our ourselves. Yeah, I think without. I was thinking about this this morning because we're in our family devotionals. We're reading through Genesis. We were at the part where, uh, where you know, Joseph in his uh, Technicolor dream coat. Yeah. And uh, um, oh my gosh. you know, uh, we we ended up doing this kind of study as a family on cloaks and clothes. You know, thirty five hundred years ago. Yeah. And how how um, for our kids are they're growing up with more clothes and they don't want all the clothes that we, we make them wear. Right. I mean, they, right. you know, the idea they that can't they wear everything have, grandma wants to buy them or something. Right. Right. The idea that they would only have one cloak and, and that a very plain one is like, you have to do some really hard work yeah. to have the imagination to kind of place yourself back in that sort of a situation. And, and I think, I think the same hard work is needed for us to imagine uh, reality, which is that God is yeah and makes demands yeah. and that the good life is is actually fitting into 
his reality, his design uh, of the world and, not, and ourselves. Yeah. And not this kind of bespoke accessorizing where, yeah. you know, uh, our religious sort of expression is yeah. something that we can cobble together. And, you know, I've got this brand of shoes and this brand of jacket and, and, and how, you know, how dare any of them demand my total sort of yeah. submission. Yeah. Like I need to be able to put this thing together the way I want. And that's really hard. I think even for, uh, for Christians to, to, That's to right. break free, you know, almost have to sort of counter catechize yourself, uh, or That's you right. know, to 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 reposition yourself under a God who makes demands That's and right. who is, and and so I th- I just think that's really really challenging. Yeah, absolutely. I I think you know the old quote by Archbishop William Temple that worship is a submission of all that we are to God, right? And now today, and we teach this, right, to young people in schools, you know, certain kinds of educational moves that have been made is like everything is about the individual. Like how do, there's even these exercises, my kids had to endure their nonsense in public school uh, about values clarification, right? Like you find out what you value and what is good and true and moral to you, right? As if, right, as if the whole universe will capitulate and align to your whims and desires or your preferences. And look, here's here's one of the big problems. We have a, a massively depressed, massively anxious population, more so than ever in history, perhaps, when we have all this stuff everywhere. And I think there's a little bit of an expectation that people think that, oh, I'm curating my life and I'm getting all this stuff around. We think that the whole world around us should fit into our vision of the universe. Yeah. And boy, does that turn into a bloody mess on uh, on social media, right? Rather than seeing um, God as the creator of reality and ourselves, and that as we submit to God and we live a disciplined life according to virtue as defined by God, we actually find wholeness in God, in our relationship with God. And so this, you're right, man, this is a... This is something that we have to be very aware of because we are part of this civilization. I love the microphone you're talking on. It's a good microphone. I love the one I'm talking on. They cost money. And I and I bought it because it was nice and high-end and sounds great. And we have to be careful, man, to not become uh, either the center of our own universes nor making the things and stuff right. we buy uh, our gods. One of the things, one of the rules I live by is it's okay when I do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and nobody says anything to me about it. That, that's, yeah. a hard, that's the hard thing about community, too. A lot of people want community. By that, they mean I want a group of friends who likes everything I like and will like everything I do. And, man, yeah. that's hard. You even feel it. You know, like what if you disapprove of something one of your friends is doing or you don't like the way they're doing it? You actually feel like the bad guy. For wanting to maybe say something, and man, when when uh, the idea of confess your faults or sins to one another so that you might be healed, uh, we need those categories that I can be foolish, I can be unwise, and I need God's word and others to tell me so. And in doing so, in receiving that right, uh, he, re- he the, the old proverb in the Old Testament, he who rejects reproof is stupid. I think it's Proverbs twelve. We have to submit ourselves to uh, a different view than what we're just receiving in our cultural air that we breathe. Otherwise, we will be dragged away and enticed into a big bunch of mess. 
Well, Jesse, um, as we look at this, you froze for a second, by the way. So we're doing this on Zoom. I hope you didn't say anything. Um, Keep going. Yeah. Um, as we look at this consumer game in two ways, uh, religion, looking at our religious activities as consumers or making ourselves a religious devotee of consumption, product, and possession, one of the things that's a struggle today is that m- much of the consumer game in our culture is being done without a moral framework and moral compass. That's why we did a couple series ago, Science and the Good, uh, that our society, and I, I tweeted this not too long ago, one of the biggest problems in our culture is that we don't agree on what is good. Mm-hmm. But yet we want change, we want justice, we want all these things. And this hit me, Jesse, when I was listening to a podcast recently uh, called the Mindscape Podcast. It's hosted by Sean Carroll, who's an astrophysicist, I think cosmologist, physics guy at Caltech. And uh, he was interviewing a guy on economic history. I think the guy's name was Brad DeLong. And he wrote a book called Slouching Towards Utopia, and economic history of the 20th century. Now, he was saying he's treating a what he calls a, historians call a long century, so a little more than 100 years. He was looking at the time period from 1870 to 2010. And 1870 was significant because he felt like in history, economically at least, that there were coalitions forming in Western culture around wealth, technology, and knowledge. So influenced by what he thought was important, the Western corporation structure, right? Mm -hmm. As well as something called the corporate research lab, uh, you know, that led to like electricity kind of things, like when you bring in things uh, like Westinghouse uh, in the the history of technology, certainly Bell Labs, a corporate research lab that kind of created the transistor in the mid 20th century, led to all these changes where, uh, all of a sudden, in this time period, the creation of wealth beyond the daily food needs that people had in our civilization were vast. And of course, he's looking at uh, economic history and saying, why didn't we have utopia? We had all this stuff. Now, of course, he's not a Christian, so obviously um, he's not looking at human nature the same way, uh, where sin and greed and all these things come in. But he, So he's looking at this long picture of time dealing with economics. And the podcast ended with me screaming at my radio in the car um, because I got really frustrated because he was all this great insight on what created the kind of wealthy moment in Western culture. And he was, and he, and he started saying you would have thought it would have ended up with, and then he kind of started ripping off these uh, descriptions, a quote, better society, a more quote, just society, uh, that this would be quote, good for humanity that people would not tolerate this sort of oppression or evil, right? Uh, That we need to create a society because we are so rich so that some people don't need to work or produce things in order to receive all this good from all of us. And then the whole thing got really political and kind of left-wing, to be honest. And so I was like thinking, no, 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 we don't even agree on what is good. How are we going to create and structure a better world without first revisiting what we're trying to build. This is the state of economic thinking, and it relates to the power game because we could probably say the resource game. 
uh, in our civilization where we're not asking what is good, what is hu- good, what is human good, what is human nature, how do we work together? And so, Jesse, it kind of made me motivated to think through my own economic life a little bit. Mm. And I wanted to end by just encouraging you guys as listeners, we actually do want to, quote, do good to others with our resources, and that we ought to be concerned with the actual good of other people as we build economically. Now, I also got discouraged because I think, well, how do we then engage as an economic participant in a uh, economic system and consumers and producers in a world that's controlled by maybe not me? Uh, how do how do how are we going to solve all the macroeconomic systemic injustices of of all the things we're facing today, Jesse? Well, let's just put that on hold for today, and we're not going to solve uh, with some act of Congress even the the inflation problem mm. or sublime demand issues. But I do want us to think about our own lives in relation to the consumer game mm. and how we view our faith and how we uh, view our consumption, Jesse. So, how would you speak to maybe Christians who are listening in about treating their religion as a consumer? Well, that's a that's a great question, um, Pastor Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me offer um, maybe a couple warnings. One is typically with the Bonhoeffer House. I'm always thinking about future church leaders. It's just where my life is, and so I'd say to to church leaders and future church leaders that we need to be very thoughtful about the the way that we're bringing people in, the way that we're trying to win people to Christ. Um, You know, if we are presenting our church or our ministry or myself as, as maybe the best product on the market, then, then we're playing into this and and we're, we're essentially discipling people into consumerism. Yep. Um, so, and I don't think that's an excuse to put out bad products. That's right. Or, or There's another bad. way for excellence to be in what we do. Yeah. Right. Yep. And so, so I, I just think that's a that's a hard path to walk that requires a lot of wisdom. And, uh, but be careful not to go, not to just kind of go willy nilly into. You know, I, I have got I've got this thing right now where, uh, um, I must have watched some kind of like. I'm, I don't, I'm not on TikTok, but I think it's like a TikTok person, right? <laughs> yeah. On, on Instagram. Um, Reels. What is it? Reels, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Reels. Uh, and it was like a, like a young Christian, I don't know what you would call him. I guess maybe an apologist, a yeah. meme maker. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> influencer. Uh, yeah. An influencer, a content creator. And, yeah. um, and I, and I, and I, now I, now I keep getting them and I don't want them. I don't. <laughs> right. and, and if you're out there and you're doing that, like, <laughs> There's, so I, I get it. I, I understand like there, there's an apologetic yeah. and, and, a, and a missional kind of impulse to sort of be present be, in certain spaces. Be, yeah, be yeah. in the marketplace, yeah. right? Paul goes yeah. in the marketplace. Yeah. Um, but I think we have to be careful that Paul doesn't go to the marketplace and say, um, hey, here's a better product. Yeah. Here's, the, here's the thing that's just like all those other things that you're, you're buying but it's a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Right? He doesn't do that. He goes to the marketplace to say, hey, here's something that's so much different and so much better that organizes all the other things, that yeah. rules that you have to submit to, not purchase. Yeah, um, yeah. But he does it in ways that are excellent and, uh, Clear and connect and with people right where they are persuasive. in the marketplace. And so yeah. I, I just think maybe I'm just ranting about how challenging it is in, in a consumeristic yeah world to, to walk that balance where you're competing for attention and yeah, yeah it's a good word to uh church leaders jesse and i are training some guys and we had a residency mm-hmm. meeting yesterday with some of them where we shared a quote by daryl gooder 
which said this producer-consumer model separates the notion of a church as a religious firm producing and marketing products and services, religious products and services, from its members who are potentially hopefully committed consumers consuming those religious products and services. Members in that model are ultimately distanced from their own communal calling to be a body of people sent on a mission, right? And so, um, yeah, we have to be careful. And, And even like, you know, I'm grateful my wife and I haven't popped around churches. We usually have gone someplace where we've lived, found a place and and never left it until we moved, right? Um, and so, but it's interesting how people can talk about their choosing a church. Like, hey, we're church shopping mm-hmm. as it, you know, and they test out the band. Oh, how's the band? Well, not asking it. Is this a faithful expression of uh, the body of Christ? Is this a faithful community living on mission together for the sake of it, for the world in obedience to God? And uh, those kind of questions are more important than like, how does, how does, what are my tastes for what they got for me, right? Um, this stuff slips in, man. And I remember living in Nashville Metro, uh, working for a church, getting all these church plant flyers in our mailbox all the time. Apparently people want to plant churches where the most churches are all the time. And it was, it was pretty gross at times. Like we're better than this. Oh, this isn't your grandma's church and stuff like that. I was like, well, what's wrong with grandma's church? You know, maybe something, but like, did you know grandma's church? You want to diss it all the time? We don't need to get into that kind of, uh, market driven behavior. And then certainly consumption, right? As a religion. Asking ourselves, how do we see money? Well, and money is is a, a, a unit of value, right? How do we uh, express and exchange value? I mean, human beings have used all sorts of things for money throughout the century: shells, shiny metals, uh, greenbacks, you know, stacks, sacks of gold, bitcoins. Uh, but they're value holders, and and as a believer, as a follower of Christ, you know, in this consumer culture. I think we need to ask ourselves, how do we deal with our money? Like, do we save money to be able to provide for people who might have needs? Do Are we generous? Are we able to be generous? There's many times people say, well, I'd love to be generous, but I can't because I bought this mansion in Garland Estates or whatever, right? It's like, are we able to be generous or do we make... Can I mention... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Can I mention something else there about generosity? Because I think... You just mentioned something about money and value that's so important, and because this isn't really money games, right? Right. This is this is consumer games, and you don't consume money; you consume stuff that you buy money, you know, buy right. with money. Right. Right. And and so I think generosity. Just one thing that I think is really helpful to remember is that we can be generous with our money, but we can also be generous with the things that we've bought for our own consumption. Essentially, that's right. to say, that's right. I'm not going to consume this. I'm going to give this to you. That's right. Uh, and so, right. so, you know, I, I, I get this. I'm, I'm in this world right now where my car has been broken for a long time. It's, it's never ending broken. And uh, I've got a few people that have been really generous with their cars mm, mm. Uh, to just say, hey, you need a car anytime. Let me know. Yeah. Awesome. Um, you know, I was too lazy to borrow one this morning. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'll just to say when generosity Zoom will do. Can be, yeah. You know, the things yeah. that we consume, be, being generous with those things, not just, but also with money. Absolutely. And I think we are in this layer of civilization because we have lived from 1870 to 2010 when all this uh, wealth creation has taken place. Yeah. That many times, you know, the sharing of what we have meant life-sustaining things, food, shelter, taking care of one another. And I still think that needs to be part of our 
Christian generosity. And so, but if we're playing the consumer game, we can make foolish decisions to have things, taking on excessive consumer debt and making some other person rich by paying our interest to them uh, just so we can have something maybe we haven't yet saved for or be able to have. And so consumption, we have to care about how we use the resources and value that we have. So, man, Jesse, as we close here today, I just want us to acknowledge that human beings, we are treated many times as cogs in a big machine in somebody's money-making endeavor or in their family of selling stuff to us. Uh, the, this, the whole enterprise that we're around can end up dooming people's joy. Hey, you don't have a nice car. You're, you're a loser or you live in the wrong place or you don't have this or that. Um, there's this reality that this can crush the soul. Your existential experience of life because you think you're not enough. And this is where I think the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of grace is so beautiful, right? That our worth and and our value isn't in our production, right? Isn't because we're a cog in the free market machine or a drone in the communist uh, community. Uh, our value isn't being, I used to hear this from my you know agnostic, atheistic father. I just want you to be a productive member of society and then you're a success. What I, I still don't know what that means, right? Um, I guess it means I'm paying taxes. That someone can tell us that we're not good enough or smart enough because of our position or possession that for people to like us, right? We're not great because we own a or Tesla or a beater car. But with a relationship with God in Christ, we are forgiven. And he says, you're accepted, you're loved, you're enough. Mm-hmm. And I think there is then a freedom to say, hey, what are the gifts and abilities and things and ideas? And to be uh, creative in the world, right? To be able to serve others, right? Like, hey, maybe my production, creativity, economic value can be leveraged to serve others, right? Like, um, this is in First John. By this we know love that he laid his life down to us, that we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word and talk, or talk, but in deed and in truth, so that if you work hard and you have valuable things and you're able to share, we ought to use that to serve others. Uh, in your immediate community that have need, that Ephesians 4.28, let the thief no longer steal, <laughs> but let him labor, work, doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then certainly, God does provide things for us for our enjoyment. He's given us sense perceptions, like we can taste things. We can enjoy uh, a nice meal that is valuable. We can like our microphones in our studios, and we can share with others. These are passages from the wisdom literature, Jesse, and Ecclesiastes. This is Ecclesiastes 2. I decided there's nothing better to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in work than I realize that these pleasures are from the hand of God. And then finally, Ecclesiastes 5, Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil which one toils under the sun in the few days of his life God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power or the ability to enjoy them. Because there's a lot of people who have a lot of wealth and possessions, Jesse, who have no ability to enjoy life at all. 
and to accept his lot, to rejoice in his toil, his work. This is the gift of God. For he will not remember the days of a life because God keeps him occupied with the joy in his heart. This is uh, a profound reality that we do live in a world where our bodies need sustenance. We do need shelter. And the ability to create things and share with others is a gift. Jesse, I want to close by asking you to, to read a quote for us. This is um, a, a reflection on the Good Samaritan story that Jesus shared. Obviously, if you're familiar with the Bible, you may have heard the story. Maybe you've never read the Bible and aren't familiar with the story. But the Good Samaritan basically has a person who has economic injustice does, done to him. He's beaten up. People rob him, and he's left abandoned on the side of the road. And you know, the, the super religious people don't help, but the one that you think shouldn't want to help actually does. And he actually proves to be a neighbor who loves this guy because he he's able to take him, help bind up his wounds, and pay for some time in a hotel, time in an inn for him to get better and have what he needs. And this is one of the aspects mm. of uh, working, having money, value, consuming, producing – that I don't want us to miss because if you have certain realities in your life, God maybe has given that to you for a purpose. And so this is a quote, Jesse, if you could read it for us out of yeah. uh, Tom Nelson's book, The Economics of Neighborly Love. Nelson says, Kenneth Bailey notes that Jesus's parable is literally arranged into seven scenes and argues that the first and final scenes present a clear economic contrast. Bailey writes... In scene one, the robbers take all the man's possessions. And in scene seven, the Samaritan pays for the man out of his own resources because the man has nothing. Bailey's astute observation points us in the direction of an important truth built into Jesus's story. Loving our neighbor in need involves both Christian compassion and economic capacity. Compassion. You want to help people. Capacity. You actually have the means to do that. Both are a good thing, friends. The Gospel Underground podcast produced in partnership with my friend Jesse Fury and the Bonhoeffer House. We do want you to review us. There's been a lot of you writing me nice notes about our podcast. Take that note public. Help us be more uh, accessible. Five stars are acceptable. Send your feedback, comments, any suggestions or questions you would like for us to address here on the Underground to info at gospelunderground.org. We are dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and the marketplace and the culture. We hope to see you out there doing well, doing good. Peace. Peace.